0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn his truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, we're looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I me to read this passage, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you, are pers- and you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But, this, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you, you do have that you hate the deeds of the uh, Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant uh, to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, we've gone through all the uh, extensive introductions about the book of Revelation, the different ways that it can be interpreted and all the different things that are connected with it. Now we look at this message that uh, Jesus is sending to the seven churches in Asia Minor and today we will be focusing on the the church at Ephesus. Now the Apostle Paul was the one who who founded this church in Ephesus. That probably took place somewhere around 52 A.D. Later on uh, as Paul continued his missionary journeys he sent Timothy to Ephesus to become the pastor probably around 65 A.D. Uh, there's evidence that later that John became the minister at Ephesus and he used Ephesus as his headquarters as he continued ministering out and around Asia Minor. Uh, and there's historical evidence that while John was exiled on Patmos that Onesimus pastored that church. Do you all remember who Onesimus is? Philemon's slave that Paul ministered to, led to the Lord, sent him back to 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 Philemon, there is evidence that either during his time on Patmos or after John uh, passed away uh, that Onesimus was the pastor there. So uh, we basically know that God uses ministers, pastors, elders, whatever term that you want uh, in a very special way. It is He that anoints them. We saw that in Titus. We saw that in Timothy. And when you look at all these introductions to the churches, notice what it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? Now this is not, in my opinion, this is not a celestial being that he's writing to. Why would God write a letter to to an angel? I don't think that happens. Maybe he does, but I don't think so. He does not use Apostle John to write a letter to an angel. So who's he writing to? He's writing to the minister, the pastor, the elder of the church in Ephesus. So I think very clearly when we see that term, the angel of the church, he's talking about the anointed minister that God's placed there. So we look and we see that uh, Ephesus is a unique city. Uh, it's the first one that's been listed in this list of seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, it was the closest one to the Isle of Patmos, so... Maybe as this letter, this book, is going to be disseminated, it would go to Ephesus first because it's the closest, then the next closest to Ephesus was Smyrna, and if you follow the closest one to each one, it goes in the exact same order as we find them in the book of Revelation. And so let's talk just a little bit about the city of Ephesus before we get into this. It was a major city of Asia Minor. It was a major port city where the ships would come in, so it had a... uh, a major trade route that went through it. So the goods would come into the port, there'd be a huge market there, and then there would be caravans that would take the goods on into the uh, interior. It's also a major religious center. Uh, one of the wonders of the ancient world had been built there. It was the Temple to Diana, also known as Artemis. Uh, she was a fertility goddess. Uh, if you remember, while Paul was there, he got into a fix because as he led more and more people to christ they quit buying the little idols and statues and emblems that represented diana and so all the artisans were going broke they didn't have the 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 supply chain going they didn't have the sales going because more and more people were coming to christ so they led a revolt and they got all the people in the town uh praising the goddess uh Diana or Artemis and they were trying to attack Paul and other ministers there and so we know that it was a strong uh, religious center for Diana but another part of the religious thing of Rome is that for many years they worshiped all these Roman gods you know Zeus and you know all Aries and all these kinds of things and A lot of that Roman mythology type God system was kind of waning, but it was being replaced by emperor worship. That began when people started worshiping the past emperors as gods because of their great leadership and what they were uh, called for the people. And that led to current emperor leadership. Uh, The current emperor is Domitian, and he claimed to be Lord over them, God over them, and so a big part of what was going on in Ephesus was also emperor worship. Not only the worship of Diana, but also the worship of of the emperor. So we do know that Paul and Timothy and John had their hands full ministering in a city like that. So now we examine uh, the examination of the churches. As we look at the seven churches in Revelation, we're going to see kind of a common theme or a common pattern. First, the Lord gives compliments. He praises them for the good things that He sees happening in these churches. And on most occasions, what He does, He shares a concern. If He sees something wrong, He addresses it. And He typically gives a remedy, a prescription. This is what you need to do to overcome this weakness in your church. Once he does that, then he says, if you do these things, if you correct these problems, then you will receive my blessings or rewards uh, because of your faithfulness to correct these weaknesses. So now let's look at uh, how Jesus addresses uh, the church of Ephesus. First of all, he describes himself. He describes himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven candle. Uh, the lampstands. Now, if you go back to the 20th verse of, of chapter 1, you find that the, that the seven stars are the messengers, the, the pastors of the churches. The seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches themselves. And so Jesus is saying, I am Lord over all. I am the Lord who anoints these who, who pastor. I am the Lord over these churches. And so he is identifying himself as the one over them. So we look and we're basically seeing that Jesus is saying, I am in your midst. You know, I did not appoint pastors. I did not just set up churches and then let y'all go. I'm a part of you. And so he is saying in my right hand are the pastors. They're anointed. They're in my hand. I walk among I am in the midst of the seven churches and so he is showing his presence his divine presence with them then we pick up with verses 2 and 3 and actually verse uh, 6 and it talks about the commendations uh, uh, that he sees about Ephesus so there's really three major commendations first of all he says I know your deeds and your toils," and basically he's talking about hard work uh, not just busyness but they are toiling. They are working hard at being the church. And what we see here is that uh, they're not hiding behind the four walls. They're actively uh, ministering in the community in which they live. And so the word toil basically means difficult labor. Uh, In other words, they're not afraid to roll up their sleeves and, and get at it. And so we look And I think that's the message to us. You know, we should not shy away from ministry. Uh, We should not, you know, say, well, I'm a Christian and we meet together and we worship and we have a good time. And that's the end of our Christianity. We need to be active in sharing the love of Christ with the community. And then he also commends them for their perseverance and endurance. Perseverance basically means that they keep on keeping on. They don't let setbacks get them down. They don't let the persecution that they face stop them. They face tremendous persecution from the locals because of the worship of Diana and the cult worship of the emperor. And having had ministers like Paul and Timothy and John, uh, this church learned early on what it really meant to be a Christian. I mean, if you got Paul as your first minister, i have a feeling you're pretty well challenged and then timothy was basically the the spokesperson for paul because paul wrote t- two different times to timothy to instruct him on how to lead the church and then john the the disciple that jesus loved becomes a minister there and you know that he had a heart for ministry so they were actively involved and they were they had been led to be persevering, to be enduring of whatever it was that they faced. Uh, verse 3 goes on and shares that they persevered and endured for my name's sake. In other words, they weren't just taking it on the chin. They weren't just getting beat up spiritually for no reason at all. They counted it to all joy that they suffered with the suffering of Christ. And they did all that they did in His name. Then we see that they did not tolerate evil men. Uh, what does that mean? Well, we dealt with it in 2 uh, second, uh, second Peter, we dealt with it in Titus, we have dealt with it uh, in Jude, the false teachers. There were many in that day that were trying to infiltrate the church to lead Christians astray and so says that they did not tolerate evil men and it even goes in and says you tested those who uh, called themselves apostles and they were not and you proved that they were false and so they did not just say okay here comes somebody that claims to be a Christian and they want to share Christ with us they want to share you know directions they want to share all this they tested their spirit they tested their faith and they found many to be wanting. They found many of them to be false. And they identified them and dealt with them. And so they did a good job of not tolerating. Then we kind of skip down to verse 6 and it kind of follows that same, uh, same line. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is kind of that same line of you do not tolerate evil men. Well, the Nicolaitans, who were they? They were basically a sect that claimed to be Christians, but what they had done is they had kind of commingled their Christian faith with the pagan faith. In other words, they, they did both. They followed Christian teachings, but they also dabbled into the pagan rituals. And because most of the pagan rituals had to deal with sexual immorality, so they kind of liked that side a lot. And they were basically saying, okay, kind of what we're dealing with in Jude... Kind of like what we're dealing with in Second Peter, what we're dealing with uh, in, in all those that are dealing with false teachers. What they were saying, to some degree, was, okay, we have this Christian spirit relationship, but then we have this flesh that's separate. And so they were saying, okay, yes, we're Christians in spirit, but we're human in flesh, and so we're going to join both, enjoy both worlds, the f- spirit and the flesh, and they this church at Ephesus says, nope, we hate that attitude. We hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Notice it does not say we hate the Nicolaitans. It says you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We have bad elements in every community, don't we? And we hate what they do, but we should never hate them. Because the moment we start hating them, we have taken away any opportunity to minister to them when they see that we hate them why would they listen to a message of christ why would they listen to a message of salvation from us so basically we can hate their deeds but we need to show love and compassion and mercy and grace to the people and so we look and we see uh, that even jesus himself hated their deeds and the people of ephesus also hated their deeds Now, after all these commendations, you would think, this is a pretty good church. What could possibly be wrong? But Jesus, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-present, sees a problem. Verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You've left your first love. Well, what does that mean? Well, even the best Christians tend to allow their original passion for the Lord to wane over time. Now, what am I talking about? Uh, I came to the Lord very early in age, about nine years old. I grew up in a strong Christian family. For me, to become a Christian was somewhat a natural step. Uh, I grew up knowing about Jesus, knowing about God and their love for me. And it came to that point where I had to be mature enough to understand my sinfulness and the effect of my sin had on my spiritual eternity when that took place then I you know confessed my sinfulness and prayed for God to save me from my sins and to enter into my heart to to be my Lord for many people who especially who come to to faith later in life is a huge transformation they've lived their lives against God live their lives in a way that did not honor God for many years, and then they're saved, miraculous by His grace and mercy, and there is a huge transformation. And they can't get enough of God. They they, they finally get introduced to the truths of God's Word, and they have this incredible hunger and thirst for the Word of God, and they want to learn more about what God's Word says, how God loves them and how God can work in their lives. And so they had this hunger and thirst for righteousness and it's is, it is insatiable. Well, what happens after 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Well, that hunger and thirst over time honestly tends to wane. We, we've studied the Word of God over and over. We've read through the Bible however many times. We've done devotion after devotion after devotion. You've heard hundreds and thousands of sermons. And so, to be honest with you, our hearts are not as warm to God as they once were. And I kind of go back to, you know, a marriage relationship. You know, for Susan and I, you know, when we first got together, we we couldn't spend enough time together. And we really do have tried to keep, you know, The honeymoon phase going even after 42 years I mean we try to have you know a good relationship but you know we don't have the same you know craving to be with each other every second of the day like we did 42 years ago Well, we kind of relate that to to we had this honeymoon phase when we first come to Christ and unfortunately it wanes kinda like a marriage relationship over many years and so that's what Jesus is saying you don't have this passion that you used to you're doing great works but is your heart really into it are you doing these things because you know that it's the right thing to do or are you doing it because you have a passion to do them y'all do understand there's a difference don't you for us as Christians we know what is right to do we can I mean we can check them all off we can say okay We're supposed to read our Bibles every day. We're supposed to pray every day. We're supposed to show up when the doors of the church are open. We're supposed to do these things. We're supposed to minister to our neighbors who are in need. We're supposed to do all these things. Well, the key word there is supposed to. We know we're supposed to. But do we want to? That's the difference. Do we want to serve the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind? Or do we just want to Say, yes, Lord, I am doing what I'm supposed to do. I think that's what Jesus is saying. You've left your first love. Some people misquote that and they say, you lost your first love. You hadn't lost it, you you left it. You kind of eased away from it over time. And to be honest, it's really not intentional. It's just something that naturally happens in our lives as the longer we are a Christian. And so I truly believe that the spiritual fires uh, in the heart had begun to wane. They weren't burnt out. They still had a relationship with the Lord, but they were no longer desiring this intimate relationship. They did not. They no longer saw it as a passion in their lives to do these good things that we've looked at here. And so, what does Jesus do in verse five, the very first part? He says, "Remember from where you have fallen." That's kind of like me sitting down with a couple who are having some marital problems and say, what was it that attracted you in the first place? What was it about each of you that you loved, that you couldn't get enough of? Go back to the beginning and remember what it is that attracted you to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that put your heart burning to to learn more about Him, to draw closer to Him each and every day? Remember from where you have fallen. Go back to the beginning and relive what it was like to be a Christian for the first time. So that's kind of the picture of what Jesus is saying. Remember where he had fallen. And then, anytime we've sinned against God, what do we have to do? Repent. Confess our sins, repent. And so he's saying, and repent. Well, repentance is saying, Lord, Not only have I done something wrong, that's confession, but repentance is saying, Lord, I no longer want to follow in that direction. Repentance is turning around and going the other way. If our lives were headed in doing good works, but not for all the right reasons, we didn't have a true heart of ministry, then we got to repent and turn around and say, Lord, I want you to be the center of all that I say and do. I want to be your heart's passion that is working in me and through me to do these good things. And so, first, identify where you were, get back to that point, repent for where you are now, and then do the deeds you did at first. Well, the deeds that they did at first may not be very different than what they're doing now. They're good deeds that they're doing now but they're doing it with a different heart. And that's the picture. They're doing it with a heart of passion, a heart of Christ, instead of just going through the motions, doing the right things. And then he gives a warning. Jesus doesn't give always give warnings. He says, or else. Now, or else kind of sounds pretty threatening, doesn't it? And it is a threat. Here's what Jesus says. If you don't do these things, or else, I am coming to you, And will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now what's the lampstand? The church. Jesus is saying, if you just keep going through the motions, you're really not doing me any favors. Your ministry is not in my name. You're building up a good name for yourself for doing these good things. But I'm not being worshipped. People are not being pointed to me for them. You're doing good. You're doing great things. But with the wrong heart. If this continues, if you don't repent, if you don't return to the where you have fallen, uh, if you don't begin doing these deeds that you did at first with a right heart, without right attitude, I have the power and the right to get rid of you, to take you away from that place. In our world today, there's no telling how many hundreds of thousands of churches have closed their doors. And in, in Europe, the large majority of these beautiful cathedrals and churches that were built 500,000 years ago are now museums. They're not churches. You go up through New England, many of the churches are now not churches. Uh, Susan and I went uh, to Boston Genesis five five. Five years or more ago something like that and so I did some research online and looked at places we might want to go and one site was talking about churches and stuff like that and you know it was notating all the different old churches in town well at least one church if not more was now a bar they had stripped all the insides out left the stained glass but had turned it into a a bar where you used where they used to serve communion they're now serving hard liquor so that's where our world has gotten I read uh, today I think it's either Pew or Gallup poll they said if the trend continues with the decline in Christianity over the last 10 years by the year 2070 there will be fewer Christians in the United States than non-Christians. And that's just those who claim to be Christians. That's not real Christians. But those who claim to be Christians by the year 2070, which is not very far from here, 48 years from now, that will be outnumbered by those who proclaim that there is no Christ. That's where this is. If we allow ourselves to just go through the motions but we're not ministering in the true heart and name of Christ then we have left our first love and we need to return so we look the remedy is to remember where you've fallen or else I can come and take you out of this place and then Jesus says if you do these things he who hears has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches To him who overcomes, who places their faith in me, who finds that I am their strength, who will guide them through whatever they're facing, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Paradise of Eden, right? That's where the tree of life was located. We don't know where Eden is, if it's still actually a physical place. We do know that, according to the scriptures, that God sealed it off; uh, that He placed uh, angels with firing swords to keep anybody out. How well that's a, a factual thing, or if it's a uh, an illustration of God basically separating His paradise on earth. I do know that our paradise is heaven, and the tree of life is basically refers to us having received his gift of life eternal. And so he's saying, I will grant to you to eat of the tree of life, to grant you not only abundant life here, but also eternal life with me in paradise. Paradise for us is heaven. So we look and we see uh, this message to the church of Ephesus, the closest church to Patmos, church where John obviously had personal interest because he had pastored there. and Historical evidence says that when he was finally released from the Isle of Patmos, he did return to to Ephesus and used it again as kind of a headquarters for his uh, latter year's ministry. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Lord, we are so thankful for the truth of your word. And Lord, we are challenged by examining the life of the church in Ephesus. Lord, they were doing so many wonderful, good things. Lord, you saw their heart. You saw that they had left their first love, that their heart really wasn't into what they were doing, even though it was good. Lord, help us to examine our own hearts to make sure that we're not just doing the good and the right things, but for the wrong reasons. Help us, Lord, to truly develop a passion for you and your word, and, Lord, to live out your word, uh, Lord, through faith in you, allowing your spirit to be the one guiding us, using us for your honor and glory. Continue to guide us as we study your word, And as we minister in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.